Welcome to the Voice of Conservative Values with Daniel Bobinski of True Idaho News and Uncover DC. Brought to you by conservativesof.com. And now, here's Daniel. Hello and welcome to the Voice of Conservative Values. I'm Daniel Bobinski and I'll be your host for the next half an hour as we examine some of the issues facing Americans today uh, in the light of a Judeo-Christian conservative perspective. Now, of course, some are going to say, oh, come on, Daniel, those are old-fashioned notions. You've got to change with the times, to which I answer, uh, you know, my God doesn't change. And America was founded on Judeo-Christian principles. And I say, you know, since God doesn't change, I'm going to seek to conserve those principles, uh, the principles that our founders held when they created this nation. And as I was uh, praying about this show and, and how we might approach it, I was uh, reminded of 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And, and there's an interesting parallel here that I want to make. And it says, the Spirit searches all things. This is a capital S, so we're talking about the Holy Spirit. Searches all things, even the deep things of God. And it says, for who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. So, you know, if I have my thoughts, because I have my spirit, my spirit knows my thoughts, you have your thoughts, your spirit understands your thoughts, I can't understand your thoughts, your spirit understands your thoughts. So continuing in verse 12, what we have received as believers is not the spirit of the world, which is a lowercase s, but the spirit who is from God, it's an uppercase s, the Holy Spirit so that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual realities with Spirit-taught words. And I'll wrap with verse 14. It says, The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them, because they are discerned only through the Spirit. With that concept, that it went, we've invited the Holy Spirit into our lives, now we have the mind of Christ. And that's what actually Paul writes in the next verse, is we have the mind of Christ. I want to draw your attention back to our foundation in this country, the Constitution. And I want to quote from a letter from John Adams. While he was a sitting president, he wrote a letter to the Massachusetts militia in October of 1798, and in that letter, he said, Our Constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate to the government of any other. And I could go on, and, and you know, if you wanted to read this letter, there's a really cool website you can go to uh, where you can find what, where these people are um, writing letters back and forth and the founders. But the, what we're talking about here is these guys who founded the country, and as we talked about in previous shows— they had a Judeo-Christian worldview. And so when we want to understand the Constitution, it really helps if we look at it with a Judeo-Christian worldview, because it's that same spirit, if you will, lowercase s, that's going to allow us to uh, understand more of what they intended and what everything was about. And, and I am just thrilled that we have people in this country who understand that, that we have people who uh, make a difference in this life, taking an action to say, hey, let's conserve these principles. And that's why this show is called The Voice of Conservative Values. 
I, as I always often say, I am not the voice. I am not the voice of conservative values. I am a voice. And I want to welcome into the studio today a good friend of mine, Mr. Jim Wilson. Actually, it's Reverend Jim Wilson. Is that correct? Uh, yeah, but you can call me anything but late for dinner. All right. So it's Jim, and you are—tell you are. Tell us a little bit about your background. How did you get into ministry? Oh, that's a good question, and I don't, I'm not sure the Lord wants me to know. Uh, reality is that, that uh, I became a Christian in 1970. I had a dramatic encounter with the Lord Jesus and felt, uh, actually even even before that time, if you can believe it because it's weird, but that I was called to, called to the ministry. And I always said, are you kidding me? Not me. No way, no, no way, no way in the world. And for 10 years, I fought it. I actually, every time it would come up in my mind, I would just say, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm a teacher. I'm a high school teacher. I like what I do, and I'm, I'm, not, I'm not going there. And it finally got to the point where, you know, the Lord, will, he won't hogtie you and drag you into the kingdom, but he will badger you and pester you until you do what he wants you, wants you to do. And it finally got to the point where I thought I was literally losing my mind. And it came to a point where, where, where I had actually made an appointment for some, for, to visit a counselor and find out what was wrong with me. And that, the night before that appointment, I, I was going to sleep. And um, uh, I just I said, and, ah, if you want me to be a priest, I'll be a priest. I'm, I'm an Anglican priest. If you want me to be a priest, I'll be a priest. And you know that all of the issues, all of the turmoil just sailed away. Interesting. Just sailed away, and I, I've I've had plenty of hassles and and plenty of uh, regrets uh, in the in the you know in the thirty five years that I've that I've been a pastor and a, and a priest, but I've never ever doubted the calling, and I've never ever doubted where I wanted to be and who I wanted to be with. So that's that's how I got into it. So you are uh, officially an Anglican priest. I, I'm an Anglican priest. I'm I'm non parochial. I don't I don't have a church. I haven't pastored a church for twenty years because my ministry is called Pray North State, and it's a ministry of of gathering the body and reconciliation. Okay, and you've been doing that. Um, you used to live in a different state. Uh, it was Pray North State. Actually, stands for Northern California. That's where I lived when the ministry was founded. Yes. Okay, and then you moved to Idaho, mm-hmm. and you brought that whole concept with you. And you are definitely a praying man. Uh, in fact, uh, you are part of an organization called Conservatives of, which happens to be uh, uh, the sponsor of this show. Right. Uh, but you're involved in that um, that organization. Well, I'm I'm the prayer coordinator for Conservatives of Boise, and each each locality, of course, has its own chapter. That, that, those that want one. Uh, so I'm I'm a member of the of Conservatives of Boise, even though I live in live in a uh, little bit further west in the Treasure Valley, and I'm the I'm their prayer coordinator, and and. I knew, and, and it was clear that the people to whom I was speaking knew this at our, at our very first meeting. I said, look, you can, you can have the pastor give an invocation, and if that's all you want to do, find somebody else. Because, because if we're not depending on the Lord, if we don't take seriously the verse from the Psalms, you know, if, unless the Lord builds the house, you got nothing. We're going nowhere. And, mm-hmm. and, and I, I found out I was preaching to the choir. I mean, this, the, the leadership was totally on board. So I do lead a prayer group. There's about 16 members of our group. We pray you know, every, daily. For, for various issues and concerns, we we always start off with thanking God for what He's done for us. Because if you don't you don't have a if you don't have a, a heart of thanksgiving, you're not going to see. You spoke of, of our spirit resonating with the Lord's spirit. You're not going to be able to do that if you're if you're if you're so busy griping about what's going on with you, however serious it may be. Mm-hmm. If you're not if you're so busy griping about it that you can't give thanks, you're not going to see what the Lord is doing and what He's calling you to do. So that's our that's our orientation. And I love that. And and I remember. Um Asking you to uh, include the uh, action of, the, of uh, Mr. Benjamin Franklin during the Constitutional mm-hmm. Convention when they were having all those arguments, and he stood up and said, "Look, we've been we've been arguing, arguing, arguing here, and not getting anywhere." He says, "We fought a war uh, against the, the largest, you know, military power in the world, mm-hmm. 
uh, seeking God's protection and providence, and our prayers were answered. That's right. So if we if we had to do that in order to win the war, how can we run a country without doing the same thing? And he moved that there was daily prayer in Congress, and that still holds to this day. Mm-hmm. So yes, I totally underscore that, highlight that, uh, make it you know eighteen point bold Helvetica mm-hmm. italics. Uh, <laughs> you have to, unless the Lord build the house, mm-hmm. they that labor in vain. We have to pray. You mentioned earlier. Uh, about your education. You have a background in education. Well, I was a high school teacher for a number of years, and I have a master's degree in in secondary education with uh, curriculum development, and in addition to my master's of divinity. And and that's actually the catalyst that uh, I thought, you know, I need to have Jim on the show. Mm -hmm. Because recently, earlier this year, uh, Lieutenant Governor here in Idaho, Janice McGeehan, was having the Capital Clarity Sessions. And that was every Thursday at noon, uh, she and uh, Representative Dorothy Moon would have uh, speakers come in and talk about the issues facing our state. And uh, she would have, uh, they would have uh, representatives talk about various bills. They'd bring in guest speakers, and one of uh, those presentations was on a critical race theory because, and there's a there's a background to this. Legislators, as well as the Lieutenant Governor's office, were receiving complaints from parents and students about critical race theory and social justice and those things being forced on the students, on students here in Idaho. And so uh, coincidentally, the Idaho Freedom Foundation had uh, started a study working with someone from the Claremont Institute, who also happens to be a professor at Boise State. Scott Yanner. And they had done, uh, yeah, and he, they did this interesting, very interesting study. Mm-hmm exposing some of the uh, critical race theory and social justice things that were going on. And finally, the lieutenant governor thought, you know what? We need to start a task force and investigate this. You uh, have that background in education. You threw your hat in the ring and said, hey, I'll be on your task force. After a lot of prayer, because this is not something I do. But, I, but after a lot of prayer, I did throw my hat in the ring, and I have been appointed to the to the task force, and I'm very proud to be part of it. So, so tell us, um, how did that come together? And it's, it's underway now, right? It is underway. In fact, we had our first meeting. Uh, we go Thursday, about so, just about 10 days ago. And we will be meeting once a month on the last Thursday of the month through August. I don't know what, what will happen after that, if anything. But I do want to say that these meetings are open to the general public. They're in the Lincoln Auditorium in the Capitol. Anybody who wants to come down and, and see what's going on and hear with your own ears, you're more than welcome. And so at this task force, uh, the, you said the first meeting was last week. What what kind of things did they discuss? Well, we, we, dis- we discussed some ground rules, first of all, and that was that our conversation was going to be courteous, no matter what we were talking about or who we were talking to. Uh, and that, that's, imp- that's important. Uh, in fact, I, I wanted to say something about Franklin, just a throwback. After he had those prayer sessions, the debates continued, but the arguments ceased, mm. if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. And so those, so the ground rules were laid out. We actually heard three speakers, uh, Dr. Scott Yainer, who I mentioned a moment ago, uh, Anna Miller of the Item Freedom Foundation, and Dr. James Lindsay was actually on video. And all of them brought their expertise and their, their vast knowledge uh, to, to what we were talking about and gave us an understanding of what critical race theory is. Now, uh, I think most of us had already done some homework. I certainly had, and I did have an idea what we were talking about. But I learned stuff yesterday that I did not know, and it's important. And I don't know if you want me to get to this right now, but if I may, I'd like to say that the thunderclap that broke over me yesterday was this. I, I knew going into the room that critical race theory is, is, a, is a, a pseudoscientific construct that, that, that says that we are not biologically of any race or an ethnicity. That's not a biological or a physiological reality, according to CRT. 
Uh, on the contrary, it's a it's a social, political, cultural construct, mm-hmm. and therefore capable of manipulation. What that's what what that says to me, and I still haven't gotten to the thunderclap yet. Mm-hmm. What that says to me is that, according to critical race theorists, I am not who I think I am. I am who somebody else thinks I am. Wow. And added on to that is that the goalposts can be moved. If, uh, if, if that's somebody else, whoever that is, uh, is dissatisfied with the image they have of me, they can change it. Mm-hmm. And, I have to, and I simply have to go along with that and have to try to adjust it to whatever it may be. And, and, uh, but the thunderclap that broke up, because I've known that this was junk science at best, that there was nothing scientific about it. What broke over me yesterday as I was listening to Dr. Lindsay speak, who has a PhD in mathematics, by the way, uh, was that it's not bad science, it's anti-science. Although these people say, we're scientific and you have to follow the science, they hate science. Because what science is about is an objectifiable reality. It's something is what it is, and our job is to discover that and respond to it. And of course, if we're Christians, which you and I are, and I hope our listeners are, uh, that means that, that science always leads directly back to God, and he does. Never, ever, ever found an erroneous statement in Scripture as long as I can see the context of it. Mm-hmm. So, but, but, but these people, they hate the idea that something is not subject to their manipulation. Mm-hmm. And that's what we're up against here. We are talking with Jim Wilson, who is a uh, certified um, individual. <laughs> Are you saying I'm certifiable, Daniel? I'm, I'm, it is always so fun to joke with you, by the way. We're talking with Jim Wilson, who is a, I was going to say, certified uh, Anglican priest. But how would you say that? You're I, ordained. I, I, I am an ordained <laughs> Anglican you. priest. I don't, think they, I don't think they want to certify me yet. My brain. Okay. So you are on this task force with the governor, and we're talking about critical race theory. And... I, and I was introduced to critical race theory when I was going through my doctoral work. Mm-hmm. And I remember one of my professors uh, who had written a book on, on uh, feminist critical theory, because it's not just about race. No. Uh, the whole concept of critical theory is about looking at the events of life through the lens of someone who is oppressed. Mm-hmm. And that is how this professor described it to me. And she said, um, and that, that's not, we can look at other definitions, but that's how she described it to me. Mm-hmm. And you, so you have, she said, feminist critical theory would be looking at life through the lens of a, of a woman who's been oppressed. Uh, critical race theory through a, a person of color who's Transgender been oppressed. theory. Yes, all these, all these critical mm-hmm. theories have to do with victimhood, victim status. But let me, let me add, I would not disagree with you because what you say is true, but... It goes even further than that, because let us say that you and I agree to look at critical race theory through the eyes of someone who is racially oppressed. It's not how you and I experience it. It's how we are instructed to experience it Mm -hmm. by, again, that power wielder, that power broker who is, we don't even know who it is, but they tell us who we are. And that, to me, speaks of postmodernism. Indeed. On steroids. On steroids, which is an outreach, or I should say an extension of Marxism Mm -hmm. in many ways. And when you look at um, how CRT and and social justice and those things came to be, it actually was born out of the the Marxists' attempt to take over Western civilization because they couldn't do it with class warfare. So they had to find another way to divide. But let's remember that you scratch a Marxist, underneath you get a Nazi. Mm. What, 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 was the, what was the deal? Now remember, CRT... That's a bold statement. It is. 
but well, CRT is at the end of the day, it's all about oppression is eternal. If you are oppressed, you will always be oppressed. If you are an oppressor, you will always be an oppressor. What's what's one of the at the heart of Nazism? At the Aryan people, the so-called Aryan people, because that's a that's a construct. The Aryan people are eternally oppressed by the Jews. The Jews must be destroyed, according to Nazism. But mm. you'll never get all of them. It's a it's a perpetual warfare. And so, yes, it is Marxist, but yes, it is also fascist. Very it, much fascist. It all ties together. Yeah. Yes. And the irony is that is that critical race theory, what we know is critical race theory today, was actually imported into the United States by a, by a Marxist, a neo-Marxist professor named Herbert Marcuse of the University of California at San Diego. Comes out of the Frankfurt School of Critical Theory of the 19, of 1930s Germany. So Marcuse, who is an, an ardent anti-Nazi, brings this Nazism into our into our present day discussions. Hmm. Explain. Uh, Marcuse was a, he simply called it neo-Marxism at the time, and it's it's extended and developed since then. Marcuse's uh, war cry was taken up by avowed communist um, UCLA professor Angela Davis, and today it's usually it's associated with a number of people. But probably the most prominent is a, a law professor at both Columbia and UCLA named Kimberly Crenshaw, and it, it it has an evolution over the years. It's not it's not static, but it's the same idea and it's and it has the same roots, and it all comes all comes from 1930s Nazi Germany. Hmm. You know, um, this is, you think about how this has grown. Um, so I was doing my doctoral work in the uh, first part of this century, in the early 2000s. Uh, and it started, uh, it entered our school system, our, our universities back in the 60s, like I said, as a way, uh, because they couldn't get class warfare going. They had to find a different way to divide. And so, uh, and, and you go back and like G. Edward Griffith was talking about books where the, where the Marxists were being, uh, approaching the uh, black population and basically telling them that you are oppressed, you are mm-hmm. victims, and creating, and they u- went in to create that division in the class warfare instead of, I'm sorry, in the race warfare instead right. of the class warfare. So you think about how it has now moved into the elementary schools, uh, the high schools, because I, going back, what, now 15, 16 years where I'm hearing about this, from my professor, uh, you think, okay, well, here's, uh, and I went to, to school late in my life. Mm-hmm. So here you have younger people who are learning these things and, and told it's a valid method of research and it's a valid way to look at things. Now those people come out of school with PhDs. They get jobs in uh, school districts. Uh, they are now uh, principals and superintendents. Mm-hmm. And so this whole concept then just filters into the element it does not it does not take much to see how that's going to work at the same time i want to say and i know you know this it's it's not we can't limit this to black hats versus white hats you know hiller heroes and villains and whatnot because the reality is that the vast majority of people in our public education system are absolutely dedicated to educating young people what what gets under the skin and i'm and i mean that in the sense of uh, as an attraction is that a lot of the language of crt is very attractive to people who care about justice we mm-hmm. don't want to be oppressors. We'd want to right wrongs. And the fact is, there's been plenty of wrongs. I mean, we, I mean, uh, uh, slavery is not, is not limited to black people. American sailors were held as slaves by Africans in the early 19th century. Mm-hmm. But, but the fact is that you and I were both white guys. And we do come from a, from a history and a heritage of, of, of a slaveholding culture. And we've got things to repent of. What is, what is false? What is an utter lie? 
is that there's no forgiveness possible. There's no reconciliation possible. There's no recompense possible. It's just got to be perpetual warfare and you're bad. You're just bad. You're just bad. That is the essence of racial discrimination is, is uh, black people are bad because they're black or you and I are, are bad because we're white. But, but it, it, it's attractive because if somebody, you know, if I come to you and I say, look, Daniel, there's been, there's been some terrible injustices done in your school, but here's a way we can correct it. You want to hear that. And, 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 but, but, but the lie underneath again is that it's, it's perpetual and that it's a construct and that it's, that you are whoever I say you are as opposed to who you actually are. And what I think what we're experiencing then would be the lack of God in our society. Bingo. Bingo. Because with God comes grace and forgiveness. Mm -hmm. And only with God. Yes. And that's, that goes back to the quote that I gave at the top of the show. Our constitution was made only for a moral and religious people, Amen. wholly inadequate to the government of any other. Mm -hmm. So yes, when you don't have a moral and religious people mm -hmm. uh, running our school systems or mm -hmm. our governments, our state governments or local right. governments, then if they don't believe in God, well then by worldview rules, then they themselves are declaring who God is if there's a God at all. And he is me. And that it is them. So therefore, yeah. if you declare there's no God, that makes you God. That's right. So there is no grace, there is no mercy, and there is no forgiveness. So yes, we have to be able to speak about these things. And, and the whole idea of taking prayer out of schools in the early 60s mm -hmm. was a huge downfall in this country. Mm -hmm. So uh, I'm, I'm hoping that we can at least some point bring back prayer in school. Well, well here's the good news. <laughs> here's the good news. Prayer has never been legally forbidden so long as it is student initiated. Mm. Uh, personally, as a, as a you know, I was in high school in the '60s and, and college. I was at San Diego State the same time Marcuse was teaching at, U, at UCSD, um, and it's always been that if I want to pray as a student, or if I want to lead prayer, or if I want to put it into my commencement address or what have you, that's perfectly legal. It's perfectly legal for people like me to go on campus and pray. I've prayed in something like 70 high schools in California and a couple here uh, with the permission, you know, with the blessing of the principal, so long as it's not disruptive, so long as we're not indoctrinating students. And as a teacher, anytime somebody asked me a God question, I answered it candidly mm. and never got into trouble for it. Mm -hmm. it now, if I, brought, if I was the one who brought it up, that'd be different. And I don't have a problem, quite frankly, with saying to teachers, you will not indoctrinate your students even in something I think is a good thing. It's not for indoctrination. It's for, it's for education, which is teaching people how to think, not what to think. The, the problem, I'm going to go back, you said mm -hmm. that uh, as long as uh, you can even do it in, in, uh, as long as the students, students led, mm -hmm. you have principals. I just read an article this morning mm -hmm. uh, where a principal uh, said, no, you cannot give that commencement speech. As it was on my mind, too. Because yeah. you, you, you were mentioning God in it, and so they, mm -hmm. they nixed it. So, and then I guess the, uh, uh, the court actually overruled, overruled the principle. That's right, because so. it's perfectly legal. And by the way, uh, uh, it's not, it doesn't have to be student-led. It has to be student-initiated. That, that is to say, then, that if I go on campus and a student says to me, would you pray for me? I have every right to do it. Excellent. Okay. I, I think people need to know that. Yes. I really do. Um, you know, it's uh, you mentioned earlier about how the um, different words that that the critical race theory proponents and the social justice proponents use mm -hmm. that sound appealing to somebody, right. um, uh, like equity and um, uh, social justice. We all want justice, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, diversity and inclusion. And diversity, it's like, I want to say, don't get me started on that one. Because diversity, when you look at the word, it, the root word is division. Mm -hmm. And for decades, Jim, I have been saying 
you know, they, we have the phrase that we that's been instituted in our culture: strength through. Uh, diversity, mm-hmm. and when you think about strength through diversity, uh, it's it's a shortened phrase. Mm-hmm. Uh, it should be strength through valuing the differences that we bring to the table, Amen. finding the value in those. But when you simply boil it down to strength through diversity, mm-hmm. you're in essence saying th- strength through divisions. And make a comparison to a cinder block. If if it has cracks in it, you don't have strength. It no. weakens the cinder block. Mm-hmm. So you have to have unity. And there's actually a very good movie called, uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a pretty decent movie for families. It's called Cool Runnings. It's about the- Oh, uh, that is one of my favorite movies. The, bobs, the bobsled guys. The Jamaican bobsled team. Yes, if you watch- True the, story too, by the way. At the beginning of that movie, mm-hmm. when he's doing the race to qualify for the Olympics, there's a sign on the fence behind him and it says, strength through unity. Mm-hmm. And I go, I, I, first time I saw that, I came out of my chair, wait, wait, can't we do that in America? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Wouldn't that be awesome? By the way, unity does not mean homogeneous. It means we choose to come together yeah. as we are. Yeah. And as, and, and, and as we are as an objective reality. Well, they, they, and we're coming down to the end of the show. We've only got a few minutes left. And we've, we've just scratched the surface here, I'm sure. Um, Jim, can you come back next week and we can finish this? Well, let me think about this for a minute. Yes. Okay. And we'll wrap up with this. I was talking about how the, uh, the equity word, the social justice word, uh, the diversity and inclusion phrase, uh, culturally responsive teaching, all of those things sound great. But those are code words for critical race theory, for teaching these things about division. And uh, we could get a whole, we could probably do a whole show just talking about equity. Let me, one of the principal spokespersons for CIT is a professor named Ibram Kendi. Okay. Kendi's, Kendi's dictum is this the only remedy, and let me emphasize the only remedy in his view for past discrimination is present discrimination. And the only remedy for present discrimination is future discrimination. Interesting. There is no end to it. Interesting. It's a perpetual division. Mm -hmm. And perpetual warfare. Yes. And who benefits from that, by the way? There's only one creature in the universe who really benefits from that, and it's not God. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. It's the enemy. Well, we have been talking with uh, Reverend, is it Reverend Jim Wilson? Yeah, but like I said, anything but late for dinner. (laughs) All right. Uh, Jim, you are a a joy to be with. You're lots of fun. And uh, you also are on the governor, the lieutenant governor's task force. Yeah, the education task force is, I think it's the proper name. Okay. And when you're investigating what's going on in our city and in our state, with regards to critical race theory and indoctrination of our students. We're going to continue this conversation next week. So be sure to tune in uh, right here at KBXL. And we'll be talking more with Jim Wilson. Until then, this is Daniel Bobinski. Thank you, Jim, for joining us with the Voice of Conservative Values. We'll talk with you next week. Until then, be blessed. Thank you for tuning in to the Voice of Conservative Values. If you'd like to support this broadcast and Conservatives Of in the Treasure Valley, you can do so at conservativesof.com. Freedom can only be maintained by a prayerful, informed, vigilant, and engaged citizenry.